may be seated. I'm going to say right off the bat how much we appreciate you as a part of our staff, just the opportunity to serve here among you. Uh, speaking on my behalf is also, I think, for the staff. We just appreciate your words of affirmation and over this last year and the things that you've uh, given uh, to us or the service you give and the way that you've served so, uh, so freely. And uh, just thank you for that. I just wanted to say that because I didn't know how many more opportunities I'd have to get, to get to say that personally to all of you. But thank you for your affirmation for the preaching team as well as others. So uh, again, we just appreciate all of you. We do get back into our look, uh, study of some of the favorites, say favorite verses, looking at Philippians 4.13, which is a very powerful verse. Let me read that for you from the New International Version, chapter 4. Verse 13 of Philippians. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Anytime you have a passage, particularly a passage like this, you need to look at the context from which it comes, the context of the whole of Scripture, but also the context of the particular book or letter that we have before us. And we have the letter of the of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Paul took several missionary journeys. The first journey, he traveled mainly through Asia Minor, which is Turkey uh, in our map of today. And then on the second journey, they went several years later, continued thinking that he would do the same journey, but he got up to the north, uh, eastern, or northwestern section of what is present-day Turkey. And there at Troas, he had a vision for him to travel across and come into Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece in the northern part of Greece, Macedonia, and to come into that area. And this, when he did, when he came across, it is that first time that we have in Scripture recorded of a carrying the gospel into Europe, uh, going in through a missionary, through Paul. And so he comes in, and as Paul would do, as he would go into a city when he, on his missionary journeys, he would usually go and find a Jewish synagogue. Uh, whenever there were 10 men in a city, they could join together in a synagogue, 10 Jewish men. And so they would have synagogues, maybe one, maybe a few, but usually just one major synagogue in one of these far-off cities away from Jerusalem. So Paul would go and he would preach the gospel and usually he'd get thrown out because of the message that he was preaching. And so when he came into Philippi, he inquired and found that there, were, there was not a Jewish synagogue there, perhaps, uh, or there was not one that he could find. And it was a Roman colony, uh, perhaps or mainly filled with those of Roman soldiers who had been given opportunity for land and a place to live, and others from, from Rome and set up as a Roman colony. And so he did not find a Jewish synagogue, but he did hear about some individuals who were called God-fearers, individuals who came from a Greek background who had understanding of the, the, the God of the Jews, and they worshiped that God, and they gathered at a riverbank, a stream that flowed out near Philippi. So Paul went out and found this group on the Sabbath day as they were gathered, and he began to proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many accepted that Jesus was the Messiah and came to faith in Christ. There are others in the city of Philippi who did in the subsequent days that Paul was in that city before he was ushered out uh, after being thrown into prison. 
But Paul had shared that. And so he left that little body of believers in the church at Philippi. And they were a favorite of him uh, through the years. They, would they sent to him at least two, maybe three times, offerings to support him in his work as he traveled in other areas. So that church grew and grew in faith and grew in strength. Now Paul, 10 years after he had been in that city, is now in Rome. He had appealed to Caesar after being accused of a crime. He appealed to Caesar and was now taken to Rome and was in a Roman prison. And there he wrote the prison epistles, one of which is the book of Philippi. And so he gave, gives to us in this book a teaching moment uh, that Paul had for that little church in Philippi, how they could come to faith, uh, how they could continue in that faith that they had in Christ. There are two words that he uses quite often in this book. The major word is the word joy. And he speaks of the joy, unexpressible joy that we have in Christ. Here's Paul in a prison. Uh, and he speaks of joy, the joy that he has. And he speaks of that. And, and he uses, as we'll see in our passage today, the, uh, a phrase of contentment, the idea of contentment. So Paul uses these two words uh, through the, throughout. Without being too specific on uh, where and what, uh, I have had the opportunity the last two years to participate in one of our Go Love, Go, Go Love Tell projects. It's in an area of Africa that is uh, one that uh, is not very friendly to the gospel message that, to, that we proclaim. But there are individuals in that uh, area who are an unreached people group. And through Go Love Tell, what is the opportunity that we have is we pull together some of those individuals who are in regions around that small area that are believers in Christ. And they're part of small gatherings of believers. And so those individuals are brought together. This year there were 19, last year there were 20. Uh, and they're brought together for about five times over a period of a year for two week period of time for intensive training in the basics of our faith so that they could go back to their area, to their little gatherings and share that, share the truth that they have. Last year, had the opportunity of sharing the uh, survey of the Old Testament. This year, my, it was my pleasure to go and, and be with this group and share with them a survey of the New Testament. And in that, there's times in which we gather together for the teaching that begins with the time of singing, and my goodness, the singing that these individuals do. And then praying, powerful prayers. I've never seen such joy and contentment in all my life. And they have basically nothing. All they have is their faith in Christ. And they have great joy and great contentment. And it's exactly what Paul was talking about in this book. And so in the opportunity of teaching with that group, I began uh, the first of the week by sharing with them uh, some things about the, the New Testament. So I'm going to share with you, before I get into Philippians 4.13, what I'm going to call the bonus sermon. Now, I've learned this from our music ministry that when they have extra practices preparing for Christmas, they call them bonus practices. I, I love that positive way of spinning this. So you get a bonus sermon here. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have to come back next week. You, you don't just because you get two sermons in one, uh, but you can put a little extra in the offering, even though it's because you're getting, <laughs> because you're getting two. But uh, I want to share with you a bonus sermon that came to to me from that recent opportunity I had to teach with that group. I shared with them on Monday 
in that gathering, how that the Gospels, each of them, do not present a, a full picture of Jesus Christ. They're not a biography of Christ. They're more of a portrait. And each of the Gospel writers presented a particular portrait of Christ and presented that to a particular audience. For example, Matthew. Matthew was, wrote his gospel primarily to a Jewish audience. It begins with a genealogy of Christ that goes back to David, the, the, the primary first king of, uh, or the, one of the kings of, of Israel, working through the kings up through the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And so the, throughout the book of Matthew, Matthew writing to a primarily Jewish audience is presenting Jesus as king. And he has that all through in the prophecies. Mark is writing primarily to a Roman audience. And he speaks of Jesus as servant. And there's no genealogy in the book of Mark because there's no genealogy of a servant. And so he presents Jesus as servant. And at one time Jesus says, I have come not to be served, but to serve. So Matthew, Jesus as king. Mark, Jesus as servant. Luke, writing primarily to a Greek audience. And he writes in a particular way that, uh, that the writing is very rich in the Greek language, uh, richer than the others of the Gospels. And as he shares this word to them, he presents Jesus as Son of Man. And that word is used quite often, or that phrase, Son of Man, is used all the way through the book of Luke as he references Jesus. And there is a, a genealogy in the book of Luke, and it goes back to Adam as Jesus as the Son of Man, and His humanity is expressed in the book of Luke. Then you come to the book of John. John does not have a genealogy because it goes back, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes back to Jesus as the exalted Son of God. So those four portraits of Christ, I shared with them on Monday, that if you look at the Gospels, remember these four portraits of Jesus. When we got to the book of Philippians in our survey, and I came to the book of Philippians and to a favorite passage of mine from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. So I want you to turn back to that particular passage and then notice what we see in this passage, something that I had never seen before. But as I was teaching that day to this group, this came to my heart and I presented it to them. So I want to give it to you as the bonus sermon. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And look what he says in verse 6. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus as king. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, Jesus as servant. He being made in likeness, he being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Jesus as son of man. Then verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Jesus as exalted Son of God. There you have, before the Gospels were ever even written, before they were put together in what we have as the New Testament, you have the Gospels presented together in order. 
Jesus as king, Jesus as servant, Jesus as son of man, Jesus as exalted son of God. And what I shared with those individuals that day sitting in that room who walk out of there every day and hear that this book is inferior to another book, that they could say to them, this book was written by 40 different writers over 1,400 years, all of them not knowing what the other was writing, and they all wrote the same message, God's redemptive love made known through Jesus Christ. He is king. He is the servant who came to serve us. He is the, the man who came to give his life. He is the exalted son of God. This word is true, and you can trust it. And that's the message that God presented to me to be able to present to them that I wanted to share with you. Because I didn't know if I'd get a chance to come back and talk about uh, the book of Philippians uh, any other time. Hopefully we got a pastor coming soon. So, but I wanted to share that with you as the bonus sermon. Now, if you want to kick, uh, uh, you know, check out Johnny, if you want to go and go to sleep, that's all right. I'm going to get into the real sermon now. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians 4, 13. Again, when you look at the context you look at this verse, I can do everything uh, through Christ who gives me strength. We've got to look at the context. And the context comes from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. And in that section of Scripture, uh, 10 through 20, Paul is writing this thank you note to this group of believers in Philippi for the gift that they have given to him. But he wants them to know that he's not dependent upon their monetary gifts. He appreciates them. He's going to use them. It helps them because he's responsible for all of his care while he's in prison. He appreciates what they're doing, but he's not dependent upon that. And Paul shares in this passage, you look at verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And indeed you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul shares the word learned. The word learned in this passage is, comes to us, it's very similar to the word to be a disciple. It's a learner. Paul said, this is something that I've learned. This, this state of contentment that I'm in is not just something that came upon me. It is a progression that has happened through the years and I have learned to be in this condition. To be in this state of contentment. And then verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to be in plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, in every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or want. Paul said, I've gone through two schools. Two schools of learning. Two things that have taught me, two schools that have taught me to be content. One is the school of need, the school of poverty. He said, when I'm in the school of poverty, when I've come into that place in which there is nothing that I have, I've learned that all I need, he is all I need when I have nothing. That Jesus is all I need when I have nothing. And I've come to that place of contentment and knowing that when I have nothing, I have everything I need when I have Jesus. The second is the school of plenty. And in the school of plenty, he said, there are times that I've been well fed, times when I've been abundantly given. He said, in those moments, I've discovered he's all I want. 
Because there are times when you're in those moments of plenty, when you have things and you see there's more things to have. He said, I've looked and all the things that could have been added, I've, I've come to that understanding through the school of plenty that he's all I want. I don't want anything else. I have everything I want in him. Perhaps that's where you are today. Perhaps right now you're living in the school of poverty. Poverty with your health. Poverty with what's your possessions. Poverty in a relationship. Things that are falling apart in a relationship. And you're in those moments right now, going through those in your life. And you're in that school of poverty. And you're realizing he's all I need. I've heard this countless times in the 40 plus years I've been in ministry and particularly in the area, mostly in the area of pastoral care. And I'm with families in a very deep crisis in their life. And I hear this so many times. How do people do this without Jesus? How do they do this? And they come to that point in their life when everything is falling apart. Things are crumbling in their life. Things are, are hurting deeply in their life. And they come and they say, I know everything is gone but I have Jesus and he's everything I need. Perhaps again, in that moment of plenty, when you have so many things, your family's good, your career's going the way it wants to be, you're living where you want to live, everything is right now where you want it to be, but there's just this, this little tinge of what else is there out there that's a dangerous place to be. But you come to that point of saying, you know what, Jesus is all I want. I don't want anything else. And that's where Paul is coming to them. He's in that prison and he says, you know, I have been in that, in that place of need and I'm in that place now, but you know what? Jesus is all I need. Thank you for your gift, but I don't want you to think I need it because he's all I need. He said, I've been in that place of so many things. You've been gracious to give to me your gifts. And in those moments, I've abounded in being able to have. I've been well fed. I've had but in those moments, I knew that he was still all I wanted. So then he comes to say in Philippians 4.13, or in this, he says, I have, he said, I've learned, verse 12, he says, I have learned in every situation. I've learned the secret of being content. Paul shares two words, two phrases in that passage. I've learned the secret of being content. That would have been well understood by the church at Philippi. They would understand these terms better than we do. The word content that's used here is a word that was spoken of by a group called the Stoics. Uh, you've heard people say, well, he's very stoical in his expression. The Stoics had a, the Stoicism was an, a philosophy of indifference. Indifference to emotions, indifference to anything. And that Stoic philosophy was around in the area of Philippi. And that's the word used for content. It means to be self-sufficient. It means to be Stoical. Paul said, I have learned, I have learned the secret of being content. And so they would hear this, okay, now Paul, are you becoming Stoical? And he says, no, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm Christ-sufficient. He is my sufficiency. And the second part of that says, I've learned the secret. It's a word that means to initiate. 
to go through an initiation process where you come into this place. He said, I've learned the secret of being content. And so they're saying, okay, Paul, what is that secret? How can we know that secret? And he comes to 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But I want to, I want to change a few things in 4.13. The NIV version is fine, but it's not my favorite version. The first part of that says, I can do everything. And that's where we get into problems with this verse, where you hear individuals quote this verse who are out there who are attempting things and say, well, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I've got a pair of basketball shoes that are sitting in my house that I used to wear a long time ago when I tried to play basketball. I hadn't done it in a long time. But I would, I would like to pull those shoes back out, put them on, and go back over to our gym, and I could stand at half court, and I could quote this verse and say, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And I can go with all my might, and I can jump, but I'll never dunk. Because I, just, I couldn't do it in the first place, and I can't do it now. But I, and I might could barely touch a net. But I cannot do everything. Paul is not saying that he is just self-sufficient, that he can get out there, he can do anything. And when he is in that situation, he says, okay, Jesus, I need you. Come on in here, because I can do everything through you. He's saying, I can do these things. I can do these things. I can be in want. I can be in in plenty. I can be in those situations. I can go through whatever life brings me and I can do these things and the next part of that says through him but I think I like it better for it to say in him or in whom because that's literally what it says it doesn't say through it says in Philippians and other letters of Paul he uses this phrase very often in Christ in Christ alone in Christ is where it, it is not it is not the means it, it is not the agency of our strength it is the location we are in him i can do these things i can go through poverty i can go through plenty i can be whatever situation life brings to me when i am in christ in him he is not just some jesus is not just something on the wall that has a glass covering that says break in case you need him. And we're in a situation and we break the glass and say, okay, Jesus, I'm in an emergency and I can do all things through you. I know it's in him we do. And at the end of that verse, he says, I can do these things in him who gives me strength. The word strength or gives me strength is a present tense verb that indicates that this is something that's ongoing. It's not something from the past. He didn't give me strength or he's going to give me strength when I need him. It is he gives me strength. It is a daily abiding in Christ and having that strength. What did Jesus say? Look at John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our refrigerator magnets, our little signs on our mirror in our bathroom, our 
plaque on our wall at work that says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus says, you can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. We have to be in a daily abiding relationship with Jesus Christ to claim this verse. This verse is active in him when we are abiding in Christ. It is in that we come to a time of poverty in our life. In that when we come to the times of plenty in our life. That we can do these things because we are in him. And he is daily infusing us with his strength to do it. It's not a verse we call on in an emergency to give us some magical power. It is a daily verse for living in Christ. And he infuses us with his strength. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So that through him, this amen is spoken by the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you to stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So not only are we in him, he is in us, infusing us with that power. He also says in Colossians chapter two, so then as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. And he picks up the wording of Jesus saying that he is the vine, we are the branches. Live in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught, overflowing with thankfulness. It is a daily infusing of his power living in Christ. We can do these things in Christ who gives us strength. Then also he says in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this morning, we take Philippians 4.13 as our theme verse for our life. It is not just some magic verse that we pull in just in times of emergencies. It is a daily living in Christ and following him. And we come to that point of understanding that we are not self-sufficient. We're Christ-sufficient. He is all we want when we have everything. He's all we need when we have nothing. Do you have that in your life today? Do you know that faith and know that Jesus Christ is Lord? That He is supreme in your life, that in Him, in Him, you can do whatever life brings because you have his infusing power of his strength to help you through whatever you face, however you face it. This morning, an invitation that we're going to have, an opportunity for you to come to express faith in Jesus Christ, to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of your life, or to be a part of this church family where you can learn 
grow in contentment and knowing the power of His good. Let's stand together and let us pray.